We are, I am reading today from Song of Songs, chapter 2, 8 through 16. Here we go. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands. Behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice, my beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear in the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clasps of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes the spoil, that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. Let's pray. Lord, if we have ever needed the Holy Spirit to come and reveal something, it is this message. I pray, Father, that you would help us, especially those of us that are very logical and mathematical, to hear with our hearts what you are speaking to us today. Lord, this is your day. It's your time. These are your people. Do something amazing, we pray. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is Come As You Are. We do the values of City Church. There's four main values. We do them every January. And so this is, this is message one. Come as you are. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pay. You don't have to perform. This is one of the most amazing things about Jesus, that he invites us to come just as we are. Now, a few words about the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs is, it's a parable of, of God's love. It's about Solomon, this king in Israel, and this Shulamite. And at one level, it is about engagement and married love. But it is a parable of the bigger wedding and the bigger marriage, which, which Ephesians 5 says is Christ and the church. Now, why would God load up his affections in a parable? Why would it, why would the, the feelings of God, the emotions of God be in almost all the books of the Bible hidden from us, but here exploding? Why would God do it that way? This is another one of those uh, parables. It's one of those a parable, remember, if you're, if you're hungry and you're humble, it takes a truth and it makes it much deeper because it came and you had to go after it a little. So that is, that is the Song of Songs. This is, it's hidden in here. If you're humble and you're hungry, the, the truth of his emotions for us will, will, will explode in you. But the form, the form is a poem, it is the song of all songs. 
It's kind of like Jesus is the king of all kings. Among all kings, Jesus is greater than any other king. This is the song of all songs. This is, there's all kinds of love songs. There's all kinds of love poems. But this is the greatest song. This is the song of our king over our hearts. This is the song of songs. There are two voices to this part of the poem. The beloved, which is the Shulamite, who represents us, and there is the lover, who is Solomon and represents Jesus. First she speaks, then he speaks, then she speaks in response to what he says. It's often difficult for certain personalities to feel, to enter into poetry, to enter into the language of the heart. I am certainly one of those people. I beg God for a different text for, for this. There's so many verses I could use about come as you are and God's love for us that are easier. And, but he absolutely insisted on this one. I'll tell you why in just a moment. If you and I are going to be wholehearted lovers of God, Christianity has to affect our hearts. It has to affect the deepest emotion in us. Christianity is logical. It is, and, it, and God is happy to address our minds. Even though he transcends our minds, he wants us to love us, love him with our minds. And so there are many, I'm very into apologetics and explaining things and God will answer our questions because Christianity is reasonable. Christianity is also moral, which is why we, we have many messages on repentance and, and it, it addresses our will to realign with God. It is, Christianity isn't just uh, the logical thing, it's the right thing. It is the, a moral thing. But if your Christianity is only based on will and mind, you will never be wholehearted. And your heart will always be prone to go somewhere else. Even though this is the right thing and it's the reasonable thing, you will, you will find yourself wandering. You must be captured in your heart. You must be captured by the emotions of God. And, and that is, that, that requires intimacy. Christianity is intimate. And this is why I, I think the Lord insisted that I do this one because it's, it's one-on-one. It's just one person. The love of God, this is point, I've got three points on the love of God. First, the love of God is personal. So the Shulamite starts and, and she says this about her lover. He has, he, has, he has come to me over the mountains and over the hills, and he's, he's bounding. The, this picture is, is that he's come a long way. He's come over many difficulties, but what, what grabs you in the poem is the way he's come. He's excited about coming. He's filled with joy about coming. Everything with intimacy with God starts with this. There was a massive mountain between you and God called sin that you, could you and I could never get to God on our own. God had to come to us. Jesus had to solve the problem of the barrier of sin, the mountain of sin. And Hebrews 12, 2 says that he did it for joy. It says for the joy that was set before him. He endured 
the cross and despised its shame. You have to hear it this way. You were the joy set before him. You were the one that he said, yes, I will go to the cross. Yes, I will take its shame. Yes, I will, I will experience separation from the Father. I will. If this is what it's going to take to remove the mountain of sin, then I will do this for you. It has to become personal. When Paul, in one of the greatest statements of wholeheartedness in Galatians 2.20, he says how he became wholehearted. At the end, he says, for he loved me and he gave himself for me. It has to become personal. She says this. (coughs) He has gazed at me through the wall through our wall. He has has come over these mountains, he's paid this price, and he's looking at us through our wall. It's not his wall, it's our wall. We've made a wall. The human race has made a wall that 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 we hide in, that we distance ourselves from God. And God is looking at us. And, and once in a while, he looks through the lattice. He looks through the window. He, 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 I, once in a while, we see him seeing us. One of the first names in the Bible, it's, it's in Genesis 16, 13. And it's about Hagar. And Hagar, sometimes a lot of us feel like Hagar. Hagar is she's not Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife, but Abraham couldn't have a child through, through Sarah. So Sarah said, hey, how about you take my concubine? Hagar came from Egypt. She's a servant of Sarah. She's like, kind of like, feels like a nobody. And, and so, so Abraham sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant. And then she starts treating Sarah with contempt. And so Sarah starts treating her harshly. And when she's treated harshly, she goes into the wilderness and she's all alone in the wilderness. But she's not all alone. God comes to her in the wilderness. An angel appears to her and says, Hagar, what are you doing out here? And she, she explains, I'm fleeing my mistress. And he says, yeah, I know exactly why you're doing it and what you're doing it. And he tells her the next thing that she's supposed to do. And he, she tell, he starts telling her about the baby that's in her and about the, the plan that God has for this baby. And all of a sudden she is seen. Oh my, I am seen. Abraham hasn't seen me. Sarah hasn't seen me. I didn't think anybody saw me, but God sees me. And so she makes this altar called God sees me. The one who see, I have now seen the one who sees me. You are seen. Even with walls, even with walls that you put up, that we put up for our protection, even though all the things we do, once in a while, God will show you that he sees you. I was a senior in high school and uh, far from God. I was religious, but far from God. Um, my friends and I would go out drinking and partying every weekend. And so I was very familiar with alcohol, but My identity, a lot of my identity was wrapped up in playing the trumpet. I was the first chair in the band. It was a huge band school. And because I had so much identity in me playing the trumpet, whenever I would have a solo, I I started to deal with fear. It came out of nowhere. And 
I remember so distinctly, there was a big concert coming up and I was the featured soloist. And I was, I, I'm, I'm still at home. I'm about to go to the concert. My, my parents are already there. I'm about to leave for the concert and I'm gripped by fear. And so I had never done this before. My, my, I knew where my parents had a liquor cabinet. And I start heading towards that liquor cabinet. Just a little liquor will calm my fears. And I'm on my way and God speaks to me. And here's, here's the, here's the and, and, and not, a, not an audible voice, it's just in my head, just, but as clear as can be, Here, here's what it was. If you drink this now, you will need to drink it every time you're afraid. And it was so real to me that I'm just like, not doing it. And I went to that concert and played the solo and it was all fine. And I knew that, that God saw me. God knew what I was afraid of. God knew what I was facing. God knew the temptation. God, God saw me. Now, here's what I would love to tell you all right now. So I repented and, and got right with God and started worshiping God. No, that's not what happened at all. It, well, I kept going. I kept doing my own life, kept partying, kept, I was far from God. But he wanted me to know, I see you. <laughs> I see you. I see you. And that was, it wasn't enough to bring me out of my walls, but I knew that he saw me. So this is the tough one, guys. We are dark, but lovely to him. That's Song of Songs 1-4. God loves us even though we're broken. God finds us beautiful even though we're broken. He sees you and he says, you are beautiful to me. I was on my way back from Seattle and I was watching a movie on the plane. It's the new West Side Story. They remade West Side Story. And I was astonished at how dark that movie is. That is a dark movie. But there's this song in there in the middle of this darkness. Maria has seen Tony and he has expressed his love for her. And there is this song where she starts singing, I feel pretty. And she is glowing and she's, she's running around and skipping around. I'm gonna give you just a few words from the song. She says, I feel, uh, I feel pretty. I feel stunning and entrancing. I feel like running and dancing for joy for I am loved by a wonderful boy. Now, anyone that looks at her would say, oh, she's pretty. But there's a difference in being beautiful and feeling beautiful. There's a difference in being valuable and feeling valuable. And as she is singing this song, I am tearing up. I am like, oh my, this is me. This is the human race. We don't feel beautiful. We don't feel valuable. And, and we might logically agree that Jesus died for me, so I must be a value, but we don't feel it. And, and because we don't feel it, we're, we're limited. And when she 
sees this, that she's loved. See, even though you might be valuable, if nobody's treating you like valuable, it's hard to feel valuable. But then Tony sees something in her and calls out to it and says, I'm in love with you, my beautiful one, my fair one. And she starts feeling it. And this is, this is when we get a glimpse of God, the fire in God's eyes for us. His love for us, that we are beautiful to him. We were created perfectly for him. Even in our brokenness, even in our sinfulness, he calls us beautiful. He calls us lovely. He calls us, yeah, I know you're weak. Yeah, I know this and I know that. I know that. I have set my affection on you. And agreeing with God's love for you while you're still weak is very key to you becoming strong. You and I agreeing with that God loves us now. He's not, as soon as you get a certain way, I will love you. We'll never become that way. You can't perform for this. He loves you. He values you. And when you receive that love, not just in your head, but in your heart, you are freed from what everybody else thinks about you. The love of God is personal. I want to see your face. Isn't it interesting that we try to be like everybody else's face because we, we reject our own? Try to be like everybody else's body because we reject our own. We want to be this. We want to be that. God says, stop it. I, want, I love you. I, I, you. You are beautiful to me. I want to hear your voice. Stop trying to reject your own voice and who I've made you and try to be somebody else and try to, try to get, reject you and be something else. Stop it. To come as you are, you have to be who you are. And now I'm into point two, that the love of God is inviting. Twice, he says the same thing. Arise, my beautiful one, my fair one. Arise, come away with me, arise. Twice he says it. It's, it's the drawing of heaven to the human heart. Come out from the, the rocks and the cliffs that you're hiding in. Come, come out from the wall that you have put up between us. Come out, arise my beloved, come to me. And then he gives these, this imagery. And once again, <laughs> poetry is is, is difficult sometimes, but here's the imagery. Winter is over. The rain has stopped. The, the flowers are blooming. The birds are singing. The turtle dove is cooing. The fig tree is blossoming. The vineyard is in bloom. What does this mean? What, what, what is he saying? Listen, when God speaks to you personally, when God speaks to you intimately, it changes this world. It changes this world from this indifferent, hard, difficult, dog-eat-dog survival world. It changes the whole world. It changes the world you live in. All of a sudden, it's like, oh my, God loves me. Jesus is alive. All of a sudden, it's like I can see the flowers and I can hear the singing and, 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 I, and there's this cooing of intimacy. That's the, the love song of the turtle dove is the cooing that, that I am living surrounded by his love. This is about intimacy. This is about a relationship. 
This is what God is calling you and I to live in. The winter of the law and the winter of performance and the winter of us trying to be good enough is over, guys. You don't have to live out there anymore. You don't have to live out in, in, the, in the, the dog-eat-dog survival world. You don't have to live with your identity being um, Russia is invading and China might invade Taiwan and there's inflation to deal with and there's this problem, there's that problem. Yeah, there's a cold, indifferent world where lots of hard things are happening, isn't there? But God, for you, is calling you into a different world in a world of intimacy with him. And, th- and there's beauty there. There's singing there. There's the, the language of romance. Now, God still calls us to engage this world and we are still to be lights in this world, but that's not our world. This is our world. It's a whole different worldview when you start realizing that God loves you and wants to speak to you and wants to walk with you. Arise. Arise. What does that mean? It simply means that we are, as human beings, very adept at hiding. We hide behind stuff. This is right from the beginning. When God, God walks with Adam and Eve every single day, he walks in the garden, and after they sin, they hide from him, and, but he's, he's still faithful. He's still there. He doesn't miss the walk. They've missed the walk. They, they are the ones that have left. And, and, and God, the first question to the human race is the question he's still asking. Where are you? Where are you? If you're going to come as you are, first you have to identify where you are. And they're in hiding. They're hiding behind a bush from God. They're hiding behind fig leaves from one another. But they're not just hiding behind a bush and fig leaves. When when they get out from behind the bush, God says to Adam, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? And now we find out where he's really hiding behind excuses. Here's what he says to God. The woman... No, it gets worse. It gets worse. The woman you gave me. So this is her. It's her. She's the problem. But really, you're the problem. I never would have done it except the woman you gave me. Okay. Uh, Eve, let's talk to you. The devil. It wasn't me. It was the devil. It was that serpent. Shame makes us hide. And you don't even have to try. It just makes you hide. You just find ways to hide. You, when, you feel, when you feel bad, you feel dirty, you get out of that and you hide somewhere. Where do we hide? I was thinking this week about the rich young ruler. Two of the, 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 the most insidious hiding places. One is religion and one is money. And Jesus, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, uh, you know, I've kept all the commandments since I was young. I've been religious. I've done this. What else do I need to do? And Jesus looks at him and the Bible says in Mark 10 that with love in his eyes, with pure love, Jesus says, you lack one thing, sell everything and, and, and follow me. And he goes away sad because he was wealthy. You got to come as you are. You are not your money. You are not your net worth. You are not your, your bankruptcy. You are not your income. You are not your position at work. That's not you. That's just something that you have. 
You are not your religion. You're not your performance. You're not your quiet time. You are you. God wants you to come as you are. Jesus, with great love, is saying, you got, you got the wrong identity. You're hiding in something that's not you. And I need to cut that away so that, so that I can love you, so that you can know this is about you. It's not about what you're going to do for me or what money you're going to give to me. This is about you and me. And we get our identity in the wrong thing. And it robs us of intimacy. You can still be religious, but you can't be intimate. And so God will go places that are really difficult. But it's, it, he doesn't, he's not wanting to expose us to bring shame. He's exposing us so that he can heal us and restore us to intimacy. I'll give you one of the biggest places that people hide. This is, and this is absolutely insidious comparison. Here's what he says. I want to see your face because you are beautiful to me. Do you know that when we reject how we look and we just, we just, we reject because we're not like that picture that everybody has, the, the model, the, the body, the, the looks, the face, the whatever. And we reject that. And we're always trying to be somebody else and get, get younger and get more beautiful. And, and, and God says, if you want to put a little makeup on, fine, but your face is beautiful to me. You are beautiful. But God, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Hey, I'm not done yet. And really, this is just a tent anyway. You're going to get a permanent home in heaven. And trust me, it's, you're beautiful. He says, I want, to, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. And oftentimes we've rejected the voice we have to be like somebody else that we admire and somebody else we want to be. And, and we easily become an echo of somebody else's voice and the voice of culture, the voice of our favorite the people, somebody we think is cool, somebody that we think is popular and, and we, we lose ourselves and God says to us, stop it. I want to hear your voice. Well, God, I don't even know what my voice is. I don't even know who I am. I've, I've listened to all these other voices. I don't know who I am. God says, that's a great start right there. That's a great start. The first step of finding your voice is to say, I don't know what my voice is. But listen, God made you for a reason and you have a voice and that voice is sweet to him. It all starts with being honest to God. Arise, he says it twice. Arise, my fair one. Arise, my beloved. Come out of all the places you are hiding and come away with me, I want to meet with you. I, I want to be your identity. So Charles Spurgeon, the prince of all preachers, preached eight sermons on Song of Songs 2, 16 and 17. Eight full sermons. And here's what he says about just this little phrase. When she makes her response when she arises to come to him, she says these words, my beloved is mine and I am his. Let me, let, me, let me give you Spurgeon's words on this. My lover is mine. It is a great thing to call him mine. 
To think that he should ever be mine and that all he is and all he has and all he does and all he ever will be is all mine. When a wife takes a husband to be hers, he becomes all hers and she reckons that she has no divided possession in him. It is certainly so with thee, dear heart, if Christ be thine. His beauty becomes ours. His power becomes ours. His heaven becomes ours. His life becomes ours. Everything he has becomes ours. And then he has, and I am his. Here's what he says. I am his today in the house of worship and his tomorrow in the house of business. His as a singer in the sanctuary and his as a toiler in the workshop. His when I am preaching and equally his when I'm walking in the streets. His while I live, his when I die. When my soul ascends and my body lies in the grave, the whole personality of my personhood is altogether his forever and ever. And he said, and of these two truths, I don't even know which one is greater. That he is mine or that I am his and that we are inseparable for all eternity. The love of God is personal. The love of God is inviting. Let me just give you one other arise that is God's invitation, just in case you feel like somehow you're not covered. Isaiah 60, verse one, arise and shine, for your light has come. Your light is here. The want he came for you. He says deep, deep darkness is on the people. Notice it's not just darkness. It's deep, deep darkness. And some of us have lived in that deep darkness where you feel like darkness owns you. Darkness has a hold of you. Darkness is, is, is speaking to you and identifying you. And, and, and certainly God's not interested in me because of how dark I am or how dark I've been or how long I've been this way. And God says, says arise and shine for my glory is going to come upon you. My glory is going to define you. My beauty is going to define you, not your ashes. My joy, not your despair. Let me just arise. Arise out of whatever place you are. Come as you are and let me embrace you. And then finally, the love of God must be protected. Jude chapter 21. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Here is Song of Songs 2.15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So once you're saved... Once you are in the love of God, once you have received Jesus Christ, you and I have to keep ourselves in the love of God. The little foxes spoil the vineyard. 
spoil the fruitfulness, spoil. They attack these little distractions, these little sins, these little comforts. They are all attacking. And, 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 and Jesus says to us, catch for us the little foxes that spoil fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of this love relationship. So Jesus, he's overcome the mountains. He has, he has died on the cross. He has done everything that he can do to be with you. He has invited you in to this relationship. And now he's saying, I've got something I need you to do in response. I want you, and, and I'm, I've done the big thing. Now I'm asking you to do the little thing. You need to catch for us, me and you. There is a part of this that he's not going to do for you. You need to do it for him. Out of your response of love to him, I, am, I can do the little things. I can say no to the little distractions. I can, I can give myself to this intimacy. I will keep myself in the love of God. If you abide in me, if you continue in me, if you literally make your home in me and my word makes its home in you, you are going to bear much fruit. The vineyard is going, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you will give yourself to this relationship, you will just start bearing fruit. But I need you to catch for us the little foxes, little offenses. Song of Songs 5, 2 through 5. I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My hat is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. But I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. When she finally gets there and opens the door, he is not there anymore. And it's a time of, she goes into a time of discipline, which we're not going to talk about today. But I want to talk about this image. She is asleep, but her heart is awake. And Jesus comes through the night the dew of, of the morning is upon him. He's traveled all night just to be with her. He is, he's done everything to be with her. And, and he speaks and says, come and mate with me. And she says, I can't. I'm t I, I just took my robe off. It's inconvenient. I don't want to get up. I, I, I might get dirty. My, my feet might get up. I might experience some, some difficulty. Love to, but I can't. And then when she gets there, her hands are filled with myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice. It's a reminder of what price was paid for intimacy. Now this image of I was asleep, but my heart was awake. This is the Old Testament picture of, of Peter falling asleep in the garden. They keep falling asleep on him. And Jesus says this to them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh, the carnal nature is weak. 
And even though Jesus did all he did for us, and even after he saved us and we are alive and we do want to be with him and we do want to meet with him, when the carnal nature is in ascendance, we delay, we put it off, we do other things, we get distracted, our hearts are prone to wander. So we don't do the little things for intimacy. The little things like have a quiet time. The little things like go to church. The little things like say no to that thing. And the, the, the little, there's a hundred little, uh, uh, little offenses that we can pick up that will, will destroy our vineyard. There's li- little, li- just little things of this earth that destroy intimacy. And we don't catch the little foxes because uh, even though our spirit's willing, our, our carnal nature is weak. So let me give you what Paul said was the secret to wholehearted intimacy. Let me give you the first part of Galatians 2.20. Here's what he says. I am crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is how you can live wholeheartedly now for God. Carnal nature, God's plan for our carnal nature is not that it will get better or that it will be transformed. Here's the plan for our carnal nature. It has to die. But the way it dies is very interesting. The way it dies is not by you making a, a 50 New Year's resolutions. I'm going to work out at the gym. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. If it kills me, I'm going to do it. Uh, even though it might kill you, you you'll, you'll end up breaking all of those. And, and the ones you don't break, you'll become proud because you did it. And you'll have a sin probably worse than not doing that thing. God's plan is not for you to kill your own carnal nature. God's plan is this, that to you, to you recognize that your carnal nature died on the cross with Jesus Christ. That Jesus took the death of your old man. Your old man died with Christ. Jesus became a human being. He lived under the law. And on his death, the first Adam died. And in his resurrection, a second Adam, a new human race started that that shares his resurrection life. And so what we do is recognize that there's this second truth. The first truth of Christianity is that Christ died for my sins and I'm forgiven and can go to heaven. Praise God. But the second truth is this. It's not just that Christ died for you. It's that you died with Christ. And that you and I don't need to live anymore in the old man. We can count it dead. We can say, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I now live in Christ. I live in his resurrection life. I am free from the bondage of the old man. This is the one thing that will, that you and you will have power to kill all of the little foxes, but you have to preside over your own funeral. You have to decide I'm dead. I'm dead, and you get to be the pastor that heads up the service. Fact is, you're the only pastor that can head up this service. 
that I, I am choosing to live dead to my carnal nature. I am choosing to embrace death with Christ so that I can live in this new resurrection. I die to me so that I can live to us. You say, Pastor Tom, that is so ethereal. That is so theoretical. Make it real. Is there a way you can make it? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how it becomes real. A dead person doesn't get offended by anybody. A dead person doesn't own stuff. A dead person doesn't have anxiety. A dead person doesn't have a reputation that it has to protect. When I am dead to myself, my life becomes Jesus. It's his life to, to be honored. It's, it's his house. It's his mortgage. It's his car. It's his kids. Thank God they're his kids. <laughs> and what do you get? What do I get? If, if he's got all that, what do I get? Oh, you get his beauty. You get his power. You get his provision. You get his promise. You get eternal. It's really a good deal, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. This is the best deal going. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I'm going to just tell you one last thing that happened. This is this last Friday night, the last night of the fast. We had a, a freedom and healing night, and it was the, the ministry team went from that door all the way to that door, and it was just glory in this place. And one of the, one of the men came to me, and I, I know his story very well because we've talked a lot before. And uh, he, he was in prison, literally in a prison, and got out, and he's working, and he had great liberty in Christ, but he's, he's been struggling, and somebody gave him a word that the devil's still in him, and da-da-da-da-da, and, and so would you pray for me? And, and so I'm praying for him, and, and I get a little picture, and I said, bro, I, I said, I, I see you behind bars. I see you in a prison, and I said, but here's the funny thing. Uh, the prison door is unlocked. You're not locked in anymore. And just, just because you're miserable in something doesn't mean that you're not comfortable in it. You can be comfortable in your misery. And I said, I said, I said the, the enemy gives you these lies and he puts you back in and you get into self-pity and anger and self-flagellation, all this stuff. And Jesus, Jesus wants you to know the prison door is unlocked. You, you just need to walk out. You need to walk out. He said, pray that, pray that I'll walk out and that he will lock that door behind me that I'll never be able to go back in. I said, sorry, dude. Can't do it. You, the, part of our love for Jesus is you're going to have to decide every day that I'm not going back into that prison. I'm not going back into there. He doesn't take away free will. You can go back there and live in self-pity and anger and offense and a hundred other things. And you're going to have to decide every day, I'm not going back into prison. I will pray for grace for you to not go back in that prison. So here's what happens. This is just stunning to me. So of course, he has no idea what I'm going to preach today. Nothing. He comes to me in the first service, during the first service, and he hands me this. He says, I just want you to know that I wrote a poem called Mind Prison while I was in prison. And I want to read it to you. Listen to this poem. Prisons aren't all razor wired, bars on every view. There are prisons more deceptive that live inside of you. Prisons built by selfish wants, greed and lust are two. Arrogance and hateful thoughts 
believing what's untrue. Prisons aren't just buildings, walls on every side. Some of the worst prisons are prisons in our minds. Sentenced by the guilt of life, tortured by regret, living a life sentence by refusing to forgive and forget. We're our own worst jailer, hiding from the light, refusing God's cleansing blood to set our lives aright.